We are continuing our series in Mark for this month, as we just uh, completed our series on the five solas. Now we will come back, and I'm sure you've all forgotten what we've preached on in Mark by now, but that's okay. Uh, We will continue on in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Mark 6, 7 through 13. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Just like there is a creator-creature distinction, there is also a master-disciple distinction between ourselves and our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. There is the obvious distinction that we are sinners and just human. And he is sinless as he is God as well as perfect man. And there are things that Jesus did that we are not called to do, such as walking on water, dying on the cross to atone for sin, etc., etc. There are things that we are called to do as a church that Jesus didn't do physically according to his human nature, such as physically Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But with all that said, he was a model. And he did set an example for us to follow and reveal to us a pattern in ministry. And mind you, all Christians in some form, in a limited form, are ministers out there in a dying world. He revealed to us what we are to expect as a church set apart from the rest of the world. And this church has a message. And that message has only one of two responses, acceptance or rejection. In our text, we find ourselves immediately after Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. In light of this rejection, he tells his 12 apostles what they are to do when this happens to them. They are to follow him in the way he responded. And we today are to learn from Jesus' example when we are rejected for this same message. Rejection comes with the territory of being a Christian. The difficulty for us is to learn how not to take it personal. Because it's not about us as much 
as it is really about Jesus Christ. They are not only rejecting you when they reject the message of the gospel, but they are truly rejecting the Lord and his word. In our passage, we see a course of action given to his apostles. First, he sends them out into the world with authority. Secondly, they are to trust in God's provision. Thirdly, he gives them instruction on what to do if they and their message is received or rejected. In other words, he sends them out for judgment. And fourthly, we see the important task that they performed. What was the message? So first, Jesus calls the twelve and sends them out for a specific mission or missions. Uh, This is not believed to describe just a one-time occurrence. This is the beginning of their training, being sent out into the world for Christ's sake. Earlier on in the letter, as Mark records it, Jesus told a group of fishermen that, they, that he would make them fishers of men. And here they have been given the first opportunity to go fishing for men. He set them apart as a special group of men. There are differences between modern day Christians and the apostles. They had been set apart by Jesus himself physically, one-on-one, face-to-face, in the flesh. And they spent time with him. In Revelation, as John describes the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, he describes how the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The apostles were different. They were commissioned and sent out to be the foundation of the church. But there are also similarities. Since they were not only apostles, but they were also disciples or learners, as we are called to be. But in this specific mission or missions, how does he set them apart and send them out first? It says, he began to send them out two by two. That is, he broke them up into six pairs so they wouldn't be alone. This is common throughout the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts and how the disciples are rarely working alone in the work of gospel ministry. This may, may have been for many reasons and there is wisdom to be found in this act. We ought to know how it is important for instance, for Christians to be around other Christians. And here it may have been for companionship, mutual edification while going through hostile territory, uh, looking out for one another, correcting each other, holding each other accountable to the mission, comforting each other through trials, and protecting each other during dangerous situations. Why? Because they were being sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Also, we know how iron sharpens iron and how important Christian fellowship is not only in all of life, but especially when involved in some kind of ministry. Because on their mission and in their own pilgrimage, there will be spiritual, emotional, 
and even physical attacks and support from another disciple will be needed. And this is why part of the reason, even during membership class, we have been talking about how it is important for us to gather and mutually edify one another, encourage one another in our struggles against sin and if we are involved in ministry in the world. Rejection, when it comes to rejection. But another important reason why he sends them out two by two is because you needed at least two witnesses to establish legal testimony. This is so that the message that they are bringing with them will be supported. There will be an additional witness to testify to it. And this wouldn't allow for some self-proclaimed charlatan or false teacher to take center stage and say, Hey, I'm an apostle. Listen to me. Right? No. They would say our mission and our message comes from the one who has sent us. It didn't come out of thin air. Right? Someone appointed us to this mission and I'm here to proclaim that message to you. Also, a second way he sets them apart is by giving them his authority. He gives them his authority. This is apostolic authority. This is an authority that is not equally shared with us today. Right? Because that authority extended to writing the Holy Scripture. We would know nothing about Jesus if it wasn't for the testimony of the apostles. Jesus didn't write scripture. Remember that. The apostles wrote the scriptures. Or those who were associated immediately with the apostles. Their authority from here on was never separated from the authority of Jesus Christ. Their authority was the authority of Jesus Christ. Minus Judas. Right? But this is a good point to note. Is that everything we have as Christians, such as our spiritual gifts, our biblical insight, our power or authority to preach if you're called to it, or any other gift, has been given to us. It has been given to us. These are not gifts that we are born with. Any authority that we may have is derived from Jesus And we are not called to parade it around as if it is all about me and my self-esteem. We are not to parade it around as if it is about us or something special about us that attained this authority or gift. Everything in the Christian life is given to us by our Master and Lord. And His apostles didn't go out with their own self-confidence and self-esteem. And neither should we. Our only confidence and hope in anything we do is found in Jesus Christ. They were given authority from their master. It says he gave them authority, but over what? What did he give them authority to do? Did he give them authority politically? Were they to be generals of armies and leaders of the world? The same sense as Caesar was at at the time? No. It says he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He gives them spiritual authority. He shares his authority with them to perform a specific task, which we will get to later. 
But why does he grant them this authority? Well, it was to authenticate or to prove that God was with them. It was to prove that God was with them, that Jesus was with them. And it was restricted, right, to them and to the Bible as God himself was placing his seal of approval on these twelve. He was saying, these are the witnesses that you are to believe. Do not reject the message that they have because there are consequences if you do. There are consequences if you, if you do. And to prove it, they will have power that you have never seen before. So secondly, Jesus sends them out. But as I've mentioned before, Mark is very brief in his letter. He doesn't explain much, right? And he usually just gets right to the point. He doesn't say where Jesus is sending them. But if we turn to Matthew, he gives us a little more insight as to where he may have sent them. In Matthew chapter 10, it says he sends them out to Jewish territory. And he tells them to avoid the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He sends them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel as the gospel is for the Jews first, right? He is concerned with reaching out to his own people first. That is important to know in order to grasp the context of this passage and the irony behind what he will tell them later on. So how are they to travel on this mission? One word, light. They are to travel light. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, referring to a, a beggar's bag for money, which means no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Now, the second tunic would be used as a blanket for sleeping outdoors as they travel. So here, when he sends them out, he, Jesus is not trying to set a trend, Right? This is not a disciple style of clothing. He's not calling them to be nature lovers or hippies. He, he doesn't call on his servants to a certain type of dress or fashion. And he is not calling them to be monks. That would be to miss the point. In fact, he is sending them out into the world, not away from it, as monks often do. The point here is that they are to travel light. So that they can be easily mobile. In case of danger or hot pursuits. In case they are chased away. They can move around quicker. With nothing holding them back or holding them down. See for Jesus there is an urgency. That they complete their mission. And if they are weighed down. By all that they are bringing for vain reasons. They would not be able to. They are to leave all of their material security and comforts behind for the sake of Christ and what he has appointed them to do. So this is about priorities, not about fashion or trends or um, a certain way of life that we are to enforce on all Christians. What takes priority for the church when it comes to the mission of Christ, that is the question we ought to ask out of this passage what is our priorities 
here and now as the church. We see churches across the country and around the world setting their priorities somewhere else. We're heading in that direction as we speak. We have been overly consumed by what's going on in the world rather than what are we willing to do to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to lost sinners. Also, they are called to depend on Christ for his provision. They are to rely on the providence of God as he guides them. They are to travel with just the clothes on their backs, that is one tunic, a staff, and sandals, nothing else. No food, no bread, no beggar's bag to ask for money to buy food, and no covering for sleeping outdoors. Why? Because they were to depend on the hospitality they would receive when entering into Jewish territory. Because that was the custom. They are to trust in God and that he will provide. Today we have the luxury of cars and other modes of transportation. Uh, I think even a mountain bike would have helped in those days. Um, It would have been useful. Uh, And we have hotels galore, right? We're living in a different time. But they had nothing of the sort and they had to depend on whether or not They are received in a certain town or village by God's providence. For them, that is the Jews, culturally, it was a custom to receive traveling preachers or teachers for extended periods of time. This wouldn't have happened if they went to Gentile territory. Missions to a Gentile territory in that time would have looked a little bit differently. When they enter into a community, that is, one household would offer their house as a living space for them, and the family would provide meals and the like. So within a Jewish community, you had one household designated for hospitality of traveling preachers. So my point is, what he's getting at here, this is not a model for door-to-door evangelism. This is not what he is speaking to here. This is not door-to-door evangelism. They weren't going into houses uninvited, right? They weren't disturbing people's privacy. That's not the point here. They weren't forcing themselves. Actually, we know as Jesus, as he was also a traveling teacher, they would receive him and show hospitality to him. That, That was the custom of the day. So again, this was more community-to-community evangelism, if we, if we recall it that, where the apostles would have time, extended periods of time, to teach the community about Jesus Christ. They didn't show up for five minutes, hand them a gospel track, and kept it moving. They would probably be there for days, and they would be staying with or by themselves in certain homes. Why? So that they would be able to teach the people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ has brought. But what happens? What happens? What if they're just like today where our society is rejecting the gospel? What happens if they can't find a host? Much like today, there are places that would have been hostile to the message that they were bringing. Just prior to this, Jesus was rejected in his own hometown, and a disciple is not above his master. So if they rejected Jesus, 
they are to expect to be rejected. So they have a great chance of being rejected by an entire community for the message of Jesus Christ. Rejection is something that we all must deal with at some point or another, especially because we are Christians. Christians are called to conflict and rejection. Why? Because there is a conflict of interest between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of man. There is a conflict between who we are in Jesus Christ and the norms of human society that is governed by sin. There is a conflict, I would add, within all of us as Christians between the flesh and the spirit. So let us not only look at society, we need to look at ourselves as well. Now the problem for us is knowing how not to take rejection personal because it is really about the gospel and not you or me. In fact, Jesus says to his apostles, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So what about if you reject the one who is sent? You reject the sender. John explains the condition of those who don't receive the apostles' teaching. He says, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So if you reject true Christians who have the true gospel, that is the apostles' teaching, not what we make up, right? We, we must make distinctions. We'll make those distinctions in our membership class later. Not what we have made up that the gospel leads to, but what the gospel actually is. If you reject that and its message, you are rejecting Christ. So for us, we are not to despair. Jesus calls us to use rejection as a providential means or motivation to do what? To go somewhere else or to someone else with the word. Jesus gave his apostles a course of action to follow as he tells them. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. He gives similar advice when he said, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus gave them wisdom in sharing the message of the gospel. In other words, he didn't promote a foolish zeal. Often we view true godly zeal as being overly forceful and forcing the message of the gospel down someone's throat. But for them, doing that would probably pull, put themselves in danger foolishly. He didn't promote a foolish zeal. Because the mission would be hindered by it. So he is saying if they don't want to listen to you, move on. Keep it moving. On to the next town. Keep doing what you're doing somewhere else. We are called to scatter the seed on both good and bad soil. Jesus and the apostles will be moving around, spreading the seeds of the word, dodging and escaping danger and the sword until their time had come. 
right? Until the Lord decided it was time to take them home. But that is not to be their concern because someone's rejection of the apostles or their message would be a sign of their condition. He says, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. That is an ironic statement considering the context. Because if we, if we follow Matthew's account, they were sent to the house of Israel first, to his own people, to the Jews. And tradition has it that Jewish rabbis from Galilee used to shake the dust off their feet on their way out of Gentile territory as a testimony against Gentile paganism. And this was so they wouldn't bring Gentile defilement with them, right, back home. This was so that they wouldn't be made unclean by the Gentiles, so they would shake the dust off their feet. Now Jesus is saying, turn the tables and do this exact thing to them if they don't receive your message. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against Israel if they don't receive you or your message that comes from their Lord. Jesus is saying there is no partiality in the judgment. No partiality in the judgment. It doesn't matter if you belong to the house of Israel. It doesn't matter if you come to church faithfully every Sunday. If you don't receive the message, judgment is not partial based on your ethnicity or what you, who you associate yourself as. And now God's people are no longer tied to a specific nation like Israel of old. That is past, right? There is no such thing as a Christian nation out there in the world. There is no such thing as a Christian nation in the world. There never was. Not even in the Old Testament. As not all descended from Israel belong to Israel. The only Christian nation we have is the church. And those who believe the gospel. We are a nation within a nation. True Israel is the church. It doesn't matter where you are right now. Or where you are from. You can still be under God's judgment. If you reject Christ. That is why Paul says. For I could wish that I myself were cursed. And cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers. My kinsmen. According to the flesh. That is Israel. That is the Jews. Why? Because they haven't received the gospel. So they are not saved. They are not saved. The apostles were sent out to proclaim the good news to those who would receive it. Or show a sign of judgment to those who don't. They held the keys of the kingdom. And this gospel message were those keys. To open and close the gates. You are not saved by birthright. There is no holy land on earth. That can save you from God's judgment. So Jesus commands his apostles. To leave a sign of judgment. And move on. If they don't receive the message. 
You see, I say this because a lot of us get caught up in controversy, don't we? We get caught up in controversy out there in the world. There are all sorts of opinions and heresies being spread all over social media and the media in general. In fact, if you really want to break it down, the entire global system is set up against the church. Not limited to, right? The entire global system is set up against Christ and His church. So no matter where you go in the world, you're going to face opposition. In fact, you'll even face opposition within the church. And we can really get caught up and distracted by it all, can't we? There is a time when we need to defend the cause of Christ and the truth of the gospel, especially here in the church. And there is a time when we need to defend many of the articles of faith that we hold precious. But this principle teaches us that there is a time to move on, especially in the world. They don't want it. They don't want to hear it. Move on, on to the next town. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony of judgment against them and move on. That sounds harsh, but it is the wisdom that the Lord has given us. And what we ought to be truly asking ourselves personally out of this text is have we received the message of the apostles? Have we received the gospel truly? Because obeying the law, just as the Jews were doing, or they thought they were doing, obeying the law is not not going to save you in the end. Being a moral person, highly sophisticated, or well-to-do, is not going to save you from the wrath of God and His judgment. Our eternal life depends on whether or not we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ and His message Some uh, manuscripts exclude the latter part of this verse. And it it is not in the ESV. Uh, But the other uh, Gospels include what Jesus says, what type of judgment they will receive. And we went uh, uh, over this a little bit previously in a previous sermon. He says, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town that rejects the message. Why? Why? Because there are degrees of seriousness of particular sins, aren't there? When we think of the seriousness of the sins that were being committed in Sodom and Gomorrah, specifically uh, homosexuality, and how God considers it an abomination. But there is a sin that is far more egregious. At this time, the light of God's revelation is being more fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And there are degrees of revelation that we will all be held accountable to. And if we reject it, we would be rejecting the only way of salvation, which is the ultimate sin. It is the ultimate sin. It is the most egregious sin. It is the chief sin to reject Jesus Christ And his message that the apostles have brought to us. And as we see in the letter. So what was their message? What were they called to do? What were they called to preach? 
Well, they were proclaiming what Jesus proclaimed when he began his ministry, that the kingdom of God was at hand. So what was the essence of that message? What does it call people to do? Repent. Repent. They were proclaiming that people should repent. They are to have a change of mind of what they're doing with their lives, which leads to the change of life. It begins with the change of mind. They are to change their minds about what they were believing at the time about God and now believe in the revelation that Jesus Christ was setting forth. Repentance means that you have a willingness to give up your life of sin. Why? For the kingdom has come in her king. That is King Jesus. And there will be no one who is unrepentant in this kingdom. There will be no one unrepentant in this kingdom. Repentance itself doesn't save you. It is Jesus Christ alone that saves you. But all who have faith in Jesus Christ repent. This is still the message of the church today. We are to bring everyone to the sense of their own sin and call them to repent. And this is not limited. This is not limited to status or who you are in society. Today there is a whole lot going on in our churches. And people are expecting preachers to do much more than what they are called to do. We are called to call everyone to repent. Including the leaders of today. Including the leaders of today. All people are called to this repentance. Even if they don't like it. The world doesn't like this message of repentance. We don't like this message of repentance when we really analyze it and know what it really means. When we really need to dig down deep and analyze where our sin is coming from. But there are many today who are expecting the church to be involved in other things. But this message of repentance and faith. And repentance is to take place all of our lives. It is a constant turning to the Lord daily for forgiveness and refreshment of soul. And what was it that authenticated their message? What proved that their message was true? That uh, these uh, communities were to accept their message? Well, they just continued Jesus' ministry. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. He gave them his power and authority over the spiritual matters in order to authenticate what they were preaching. To say, yes, I think we should listen to them. I think we should listen to them. They're they're casting out demons and healing the sick in Jesus' name. We should listen to them and their message of repentance. The question you're probably asking is, well, where are we in this text, right? Are, are we uh, the apostles in this text? How, how do we apply this to ourselves? 
Well, there are no longer apostles. And today we are not sent out in the same exact way as they were. You know, I have to stay here. Even if you don't like my message. Right? I'm tied to this pulpit until uh, you transfer me out or whatever the case may be. Fire me, whatever it is. Uh, So we need to figure out who we are in this text. Are we the apostles or are we the people the apostles and their message has come to? Are we the learners? Are we the, 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 the disciples, the learners? Or are we those who are being discipled, the communities? I believe it is the latter. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing with this gospel? How do we respond to his message? How do we respond to his authority in our lives? Have we received it? If, we, if so, have we obeyed what Jesus demands of us as his disciples? Have we taken up the cross to follow him? Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to take up the cross? It means to repent. It means to repent. Whatever that sin is, we repent of sin. He has crucified sin on the cross. Now we are to crucify our flesh. right? Not physically, but that sin that is within us. That human nature within us that constantly gravitates towards sin. We are to crucify that. We are to repent and ask for repentance. The fruit of a Christian life is constant repentance. Seeing our sin for what it is and applying the cross of Christ to it, then crucifying the flesh. Because just like the apostles, this message comes and goes. We don't know the next time we're going to hear this message. Before we deal with other people rejecting us for the sake of Christ, we need to ask ourselves, have we rejected it? Have we rejected the message of repentance? When preachers preach to you who have the authority to preach, are you receiving it? Are you receiving the messages from this pulpit? Not because I'm anything, but because Christ is everything. If we reject it, it will be worse off. We will be worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah on the judgment day. He will judge with fire, and it won't be temporal, but eternal. But if we have received it, if we have received it, we now belong to the king in his everlasting kingdom. Though we're not apostles, we still become his representatives, and we are called to represent him properly. We are called to represent him properly. We are called to repent. And we are not called to misrepresent him and his message. There are many today in mainline churches. I'm not talking about just liberal churches who have gone off the rocker. I'm talking about churches in the mainline, churches in uh, conservative circles who are misrepresenting Christ and his message for other agendas. Let us not misrepresent what Christ has called us to preach. His message is still one of faith and repentance. 
Why? For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So with that said, we can trust in his provision. He has given us all things in Christ and he provides all that we need as a church, as a community of believers to serve him. So let us do just that. As a church, serve him in our community. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us.